didn't want to have to feel like I had to constantly make people feel comfortable around me when they found out I was doing IVF or struggling or whatever it is. I didn't want to have to feel like I was making someone else feel comfortable. I wanted to be invited to the baby showers. I wanted to get on a train and go somewhere with you and your kid, like during the season. Again, I was on a team with a whole bunch of kids and I wanted to be included. I, I don't see my situation in your situation. So I don't feel that, that anger towards you for being able to get pregnant versus me not. Um, and I wouldn't wish infertility on anybody. And so um, I never felt that way. And so most of my friends know that and they, you know, they're great about checking in and seeing how I'm doing and celebrating when it works out and saying like, hey, you know, sorry, that didn't work out when it doesn't. What gets us through this crazy hockey journey is our amazing community of women. Inspired by our online network, Breaking the Ice is a platform created to connect us even more as we share our stories, our passions, our tips, tricks, do's and don'ts for all things hockey, and so much more. For hockey expats, by hockey expats. So lace them up and tune in for a new episode every Wednesday. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. This week I have Sandy joining me and Sandy is sharing her journey with IVF. She will also be taking over the Instagram page going live on Thursday, April 22nd. And she is going to be sharing about what a full round of IVF is from start to finish, the medication she took, injections, all of that stuff. And she's also going to leave room to answer any questions that you might have for her. This conversation was really inspiring. And throughout this whole process, she has stayed so strong, has such an amazing mindset. And I think that my biggest takeaway was how I can support a friend, a family, a peer that might be going through something similar. I think oftentimes we find ourselves not really knowing what to say and maybe not saying anything at all or maybe saying the wrong thing and being afraid to do that. So kind of withdrawing. So I really wanted to kind of normalize this topic and really have this conversation so that we can educate ourselves on the best way to support the people around us that are going through this. She was super open and vulnerable, and I felt like I could ask her anything. I'm super excited for this episode. I'm super excited for her Instagram live on Thursday, and it's going to be at 10 a.m. Eastern, which is about 5 p.m. Europe time, I believe. So make sure to stay tuned and share this episode to your story. Maybe tag someone in the comments that you think might want to hear it. Maybe they're starting their IVF journey and need some support, and also she is been really open about. If you have questions, you can message her on her Instagram page. So enjoy this episode. Sandy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And I'm really honored to just give you the space to share your story. And a lot of people are nervous to open up and just have these conversations. So I'm happy to do this and, and really normalize this topic because it's a lot more common than people think. So thank you for being here today. Of course. And it really is a lot more common than people think. So the more people that are talking about it, the more information's out there the more calming it is for people that are actually going through it. 
Yeah, definitely. So I, I know we have a lot to unpack here and I am just going to kind of hand the floor over to you. So I just want to hear a little bit about your journey. You know, you can incorporate your, your hockey life as well, because I know it's kind of intertwined, um, just being overseas, being back home. So, and then we'll kind of unpack it afterwards. So, okay. Give it a go. (laughs) Um, so, uh, my husband, Paul and I, we met freshman year at Western Michigan university. Uh, we weren't really a couple till sophomore year. Uh, we were married six years later in the summer of 2010. We were 25. We were fresh off of two years up with the Tampa Bay Lightning. We were high on life, um, just nowhere near ready for kids. We were both healthy. Um, neither of us had moms that had trouble conceiving us or our siblings. Uh, so I was not expecting any problems. Actually, at that point, I don't even think I knew anyone that had fertility issues, but maybe that's just because it wasn't talked about very much at the time. Two years later, we just ahead of the 2012 lockout, we decided to go overseas to the KHL. I was 27 and I thought, okay, this is a good time to start. I stopped taking my birth control actually the minute Paul left for training camp that summer. I heard stories of it taking time for girls to get their birth control out of their system. And I figured that was probably going to be my biggest hurdle. I was obsessed with trying to plan my pregnancy. I kept saying, oh, I want a playoff baby. I want a summer baby. Uh, So I was like, okay, we're going to try August, September, maybe October if necessary. I wasn't going to be there in August that year. So I I thought I was going to show up in September, get pregnant, easy peasy, no big deal. Uh, when that didn't work out in September or October, we we kind of went back to the trusty pullout method because uh, <laughs> I was not Rainbow. ready. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't ready to be giving birth overseas or doing it without him back at home. I was kind of convinced that it was the stress of moving or my birth control not being out of my system, and that's why it wasn't working. I was very naive at the time. The following season, we tried again in August and September. I was getting frustrated. I talked it out with a couple of the girls on the team and they suggested I try ovulation tests. I don't think I realized what a slim window actually exists for someone to get pregnant. I just, I skipped that day in health class. I have no idea. I didn't realize that. So we used the tests. We tried October, November. We were hitting the ovulation window. I was sitting with my legs in the air, doing all the tricks that they say help you get pregnant and nothing. I had given up hope of a summer baby and we just tried for the rest of the season and we didn't have any luck. And I was pissed. I was worried. I was nervous. I was kind of running out of excuses for why it wasn't working. We took that summer off because I was going crazy peeing on sticks and trying to plan it. And we just, we needed a break from it. Our turning point came at the beginning of our third season overseas. We had signed with Dinamo Minsk, also in the KHL, and we had a hell of an import crew. It was amazing. Uh, Paul had mentioned one of the guys had twin boys and had discovered that they had used IVF. By the time I arrived in Minsk, I had a laundry list of questions and Michelle Lingley completely changed my life. I actually messaged her a few days ago just to make sure I could use her name on here because I really wanted to give her proper credit. Um, She answered all of my questions. She was amazing. She was supportive. She made me feel like needing to go this route was normal and it wasn't like something to be ashamed of. 
she'd actually used a doctor in Minsk. So she gave me his contact information. We spent that season doing an array of tests. They normally start with the guy uh, because it's just easier to test his sample first. Uh, they're looking for sperm count motility, which is just how your sperm swims up and uh, the morphology, so the shape and everything. Uh, we, Paul was going to the clinic to provide his sample so many times that we used to joke he had a membership. Um, he would check in at the desk and they would give him a key and he would go down the hall to a room and uh, do his thing. <laughs> and then I'm he sure he felt so awkward doing that at first. Super awkward. There's like a bench and all the guys like are sitting waiting at the bench. Oh gosh. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But, <laughs> and then he would turn the key back in and leave. And that was his, that was his part. Uh, we did, we did all the blood panels. They checked for your hormone levels, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then they got to me, which is the painful and fun part. I had countless tests and pokes and vaginal ultrasounds. I, I'm pretty sure more people saw me naked that year than I could possibly count. Um, they injected dye into my uterine cavity to see if I had any blockages. They took samples of my lining. Uh, they, they do all these tests over different points of your cycle. So like some weeks I would have to go in multiple times and sometimes I would have like a week or two off of the tests and the craziness. Um, eventually all of our tests came back normal. I remember Paul being like, woohoo, everything's normal. But a part of me was kind of hoping that they would find something because I feel like if there was a plan, then, then I would feel better. I'd feel like we were doing something um, like, okay, here's the issue and here's what we need to do to fix it. But without a clear issue, I kind of felt like it became a guessing game and it wasn't hopeless, but it just felt like now what? Mm -hmm. uh, so we proceeded at the end of that season with an IUI. So an IUI is intrauterine um, insemination. I call it a turkey baster. It's basically, they give you drugs to help you create more eggs and up your hormone levels. And then they take your partner's contribution and they wash it. So they get the semen off the sperm so that you're just left with the sperm. And then they put it in basically a turkey baster and shoot it up and hope that it takes. Um, so we did that at the end of the season in Belarus and it didn't, nothing came of it. Uh, then that summer we came home. We, at the rec recommendation of my Belarusian doctor, I found a fertility clinic in Michigan and did another IUI that also resulted in nothing. Um, the following season, we got back to Minsk. We dove headfirst into IVF, which is it's intro, it's um, in vitro fertilization. And it's quite complicated, but basically they give you medications to help you grow more eggs. And then they use a hollow point, hollow point needle to retrieve the eggs. And then they take um, your partner's contribution again, and they take out a good looking sperm and um, inject it into the egg. The hope is that it fertilizes and creates an embryo. And then they incubate the embryo for either three or five days, depending on the route you're taking. And if it works out, they put it back in and hopefully you end up pregnant. Uh, so we did two of those that season in Minsk. The first one was an early miscarriage and the second one just mm. didn't work out at all, didn't take. Um, that was the end of our season and contract in Minsk. So when we got home, 
I got really serious with Dr. Britton at the Michigan Center for Fertility. I was beyond determined. I was like, I am going to make this work. Um, we went through everything again, right from the start. So we did all the tests again, all of the blood work again, every procedure. Um, I was like, just do it up. I got whatever it takes. I want this baby. Um, so that summer we did our third round of IVF and it resulted in our son, Tyler being born February, 2017. Um, after that, we tried a FET, which is a frozen embryo transfer. I had froze, um, two embryos that came from Tyler's cycle. So this that is from the same, did they have to do IVF again or no. you just, they pulled your eggs and then they froze them from so that, it, from that last round. Yeah. So the IVF I did in Michigan was very different than the IVF I did in Belarus. And we can figure yeah. that out. But, yeah. And um, we'll chat about that. The IVF in Michigan, I, I ended up with four embryos. Um, I put one in fresh that became Tyler. The other three I sent for genetic testing because when they never find anything wrong, like a reason for your, you're not being able to get pregnant on your own. Often they will what they will think it's something's wrong genetically. So we sent three away for genetic testing. One came back abnormal. And um, for lack of a better term, they dissolve it because it, it can't turn into a normal pregnancy. Um, and the other two got frozen. And they actually, when they do the genetic testing, they can tell you the sex of the babies. So they're actually both girls. So I had two frozen girls. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and I put, I put Tyler in fresh. So we didn't know what he was. We did the whole, you know, finding out thing. Um, wow. Science is just so amazing. The fact that they can tell, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just the fact that they can tell yeah. if it's a boy or a girl from, I know it's crazy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So they sent, so I had two frozen. So, um, I, that came back genetically normal. So they were genetically tested. So I was like convinced these are going to be my next babies. I was full in for that. So, um, summer 2019, we decided to move forward with one of the frozen embryos. Um, and it's not as in depth as a normal IVF round. You still have to, you're not trying to create more eggs for them to retrieve, but you still have to take a whole bunch of injections and medications to make your uterus, everything perfect, the perfect environment for this embryo. And then you go in and they still use, it's a, basically a catheter and they, they send the uh, embryo up and you can actually see it on the screen being injected into your, yeah, into your uterus. Wow. And then they, you just hope that it sticks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, unfortunately it did not stick. Um, so it did not turn out. And I, I have to say that was one of the most devastating parts of the whole thing because I had already carried a successful pregnancy and these were genetically tested embryos. So in my head, it was like, couldn't make it more perfect than that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's going to work. Um, I was, I had a name, I already had everything mm -hmm. planned out timing wise and it didn't work. Um, so going into 2020, we decided to do a whole new fourth round of IVF, a fresh start to finish of everything. So we did tests all over again, did the whole shebang and ended up with zero viable embryos. So nothing came from it. Um, and we can talk more about the differences between that later, but we now have one embryo left 
frozen from Tyler cycle. It is a lower quality embryo, um, but it's still genetically test normal. And before we put it in, because I don't plan on doing another round of IVF, if this one doesn't work out, my doctor wants to do every test all over again and even add in a couple of things that may help this one have a better chance. Um, so that's the plan whenever COVID lets up because um, the embryo is in Michigan and I am in Ontario. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, okay. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the journey that we were on. Yeah. Just listening to you share that that's so like vulnerable for you to open up and, and speak about that because I know that there's no way that can be easy. I mean, I can't even imagine how painful it is and how, you know, discouraging time after time to go through that. And I respect you for holding on to hope and to staying optimistic and going back to what you were saying. I think it was when you became pregnant and you had a miscarriage, what was that like finding out that you got pregnant and then lost the baby emotionally? It was, it was a it was like within an hour. So it was because it was an early miscarriage. It was, um, we did the whole thing. Um, and that cycle was, I was very fortunate because we were on a team with incredible, um, imports and they were basically all moms except for one, I think. And it, they were just very invested. They wanted to know how it was going. They checked in all the time. And so I was feeling super supportive. And I remember leading up to the day that they do your, so after you're done with the um, IVF, you have a waiting period where you have to wait to see if it takes, and then you can start taking pregnancy tests. And um, they were checking in all the time. And I remember being like, oh my God, my boobs are sore. And <laughs> like mm -hmm. being excited that I was feeling symptoms. And it's really hard when you're doing um, IVF because you take in a lot of hormones through mm -hmm. your injections. So you could be giving yourself false symptoms and you also are very in your own head. So you might be imagining symptoms too. But I was like, no, no, they're sore, I swear. And you know, I was feeling it. And then I went in in the morning and had my um, first, uh, they test to see if your levels are, you know, rising and everything. So I went in for that test and I came home and Paul was at practice. And I remember sitting, I was in the kitchen and I was making lunch and all of a sudden it was just like, a waterfall of blood and it was like okay that can't that can't be right but don't freak out because you know you were feeling symptoms of pregnancy and who knows maybe it's normal and there are so many chat rooms and forums and things that are online that you can go and look up like IVF questions and I remember typing in like is a lot of blood okay mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, common sense. Says it's no. new. You don't know. Yeah. yeah. So I did look up stuff. And then I remember sitting in the bathroom and like just panicking because it was just coming out and it wasn't stopping. And I got the phone call while I was sitting in the bathroom from my doctor congratulating me that, um, <laughs> that it, the tests had come back positive and I was on the toilet and, um, yeah, blood coming out, all the stuff. And I received the phone call from my doctor and he's like, congratulations. And I was like, no, I, I'm not sure I'm bleeding quite a bit. Should I come back in? And he said, it sounds like an early term pregnancy. Um, 
which can happen. What we're gonna do is just wait and you'll come back in tomorrow. We'll see if your levels have risen or like, you know, fallen off mm-hmm. or stopped coming. For that much and, blood though, that's surprising that they wouldn't. Well, what was he gonna do about it? There's nothing yeah. to do. So right. just relax and come back in tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, I'll relax. Yeah, <laughs> like, so it was a tough night. And I remember thinking like, maybe it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I had never been able to pee on a pregnancy test and have it work out. I just desperately wanted to pee on a test and have it work out. So that was, um, I didn't get a chance to do that. And I feel like maybe because I didn't have a picture or any of those things. So it was maybe a little bit less disheartening than it would be for somebody who goes through a miscarriage that's further along, but it was like, I felt like we had jumped through all the hoops. And so that part sucked. And, but on the bright side, I was like, okay, well, we got, this is the furthest I've ever gotten. So that's cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, So that's why we jumped right into it. So as soon as I went and confirmed that I, the pregnancy, I'd lost the pregnancy, they were like, okay, we have to give you a month and then we can start again. And in overseas, they that doctor would not allow you to grow too many eggs. He just wanted to get enough. He was more about quality or quantity. So he wanted you to get just enough to make it worth putting in. So like three or four, I didn't have any frozen to try again. I had to start the whole thing over. So we had to do all the injections over all the hormones, all the vitamins, all of the stuff over again. And overseas, they don't trust you to go home and do it on your own. So I actually had to go in every single day and get my injections, get my medication. So I would go in every day, they would take my blood, they would um, give me my injections into my torso and then give me my pills and my vitamins. And then I had to go back in and only our doctor spoke English. So um, none of the support staff did. And I had to learn to write my name Cyrillic. Um, in the Russian language and sign in every day with it. And nobody could communicate with me. The person giving me my my injections couldn't communicate with me. My Russian was terrible. Like I'd only been there for a tough language. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, um, (sighs) it was a lot of me just being pushed and told where to go and, and sit, you know, gesturing, lots of gesturing. And you're just trusting people to stab you with needles and hope that it works out. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But Paul Paul was actually on the road when I did my second round. Um, So thankfully, again, the girls there were super supportive. And um, Ashley Chichu actually had to drive me to my surgery and pick me up. And the doctor suggested that perhaps this time I should be in bed rest for that waiting period. So I checked into a hotel and um, had a dog sitter come and stay with my pup. And laid there for three days and waited for Paul to come back from the road trip. And yeah, it was, it didn't work out. Nothing came of that one either. So that was pretty discouraging, but mm-hmm. I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to beat this. <laughs> this yeah. is work out. So for those that are listening, that might be going through something similar, would you mind just sharing like what your emotions and feelings were like when you were going through all this and just so someone might not feel alone. Cause I think it's, it's such a not talked about topic. And I think that by you sharing, you know, this story, it's going to help so many people that are going through it. 
Sure. So I think the most important thing that you can remember when you're going through this is that whatever you're feeling, totally okay. If you're angry, if you're frustrated, if you're scared, whatever you're feeling, it's totally okay because Mm -hmm. everyone's going to look at it differently. Some people turn to meditation. Some people turn to faith. Some people are just super into the science part of it. Some people are all of it. And you have to find what works for you. Um, I'm a very rational person. And so for me, it was Googling and Mm. the science behind it. I needed to understand exactly what it was that I was doing and exactly what I was expecting to have happen. And that helped me understand each step in the process. Like I needed everything written down. I wanted to know okay, this is what we're doing next. And this is what we're hoping happens. And if it doesn't happen, this is the next step. Which I'm sure, sorry to interrupt you, but in Russia, that was probably so hard to get that crystal clear. This is what's happening. This is what, you know, and it's, I'm sure that was so frustrating because you, you want a baby so bad. And then it's like, there's a language barrier and you always can't get that super clear communication. Michelle really helped me with that because she had gone through it and it had worked out. So listening to her had helped, but, and my doctor there was very, he, he had studied a bit in Chicago. So his English was pretty good. So he was, he was trying to explain things to me, but I think, um, those first two rounds, it was a little bit more just a leap of faith. Cause mm-hmm. I didn't know. I mean, I was literally going in for surgeries and nobody was speaking to me. Like I was laying on a surgical bed being put to sleep and, and no one can speak to me. Oh, my, so doctor, scary. my doctor would come in right before and be like, okay, see you when you wake up. And it was like, oh, okay. Um, sure. But, um, yeah, no, those were, it was for me, it was focusing on the goal and, doing as much of my own research to the point where I had, Paul would tell me, get off, get off Google. Like it's Mm -hmm. it's going to hurt you. Get off Mm -hmm. Google. Um, I think things got a lot better when I got home and I found my doctor at home because Dr. Britton and his, um, his PA Alexa were, they answered every question. They let me call a million times. They were very understanding of Paul not always being there because when you especially in the States, I don't know about Canada, but especially in the States, when you go in and you discuss having a problem and needing, needing fertility treatments, they often will um, evaluate you and your husband to see where you are mentally and if you are prepared to handle it. Because some people need counseling before you can go into it. The paperwork that is involved to do IVF overseas, or I'm sorry, in the States is insane. You have to, um, you have to sign things about what's going to happen to your embryos that you freeze if you are not medically sound anymore, if you pass away, if you are divorced, if you want to move, like I can't just get my embryo and like put it in a cooler and bring it to Canada. (laughs) There's so much. I didn't even think about that because yeah, like if something happened to you, then they're like, yeah, what do we do? What do we do with it? And if you get, if you separate or get divorced, like, I mean, everything, I actually, we have to restore his we store his contribution there too, because maybe I'm going to do a round and he's over in training camp or something. So, um, my doctor was very understanding of, okay, let's collect his samples and Casey has to leave or, 
I might disappear for a few months and, you know, I'll be overseas and I can't be there for treatments. And so they were, they were definitely really understanding and their understanding helped me feel more comfortable, mm-hmm. but there were times, there are times when I'm frustrated and I have to just stop and remember there are a lot of other things in my life that I'm thankful for. And if I can focus on those, then I can take the focus off of what I'm missing. Mm -hmm. Um, and now like having my son, um, we constantly want to give him, he has a, he has one of his little best friends down the street, Clara. She has a, a younger sister a baby sister that was just born. And he's always, he says, well, Clara has a baby. I want a baby. And it's, it just stabs you right in the heart <laughs> when he's like, well, why can't I have a baby? And it's like, ah, I'm trying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really am. Um, but oh, that breaks it, my heart. And every, um, every time, every month when my period comes, I have, I allow myself to have a moment of, well, that didn't work out. Like, oh, not uh, here it is again. Didn't work. I'm not pregnant again. And I give myself a moment to feel really crappy. And then I remind myself, okay, you have Tyler, you have a lot of other things in your life. It is okay. And you will, you will be fine. If this doesn't work, it's going to be okay. But giving myself that moment every month to just feel like crap, like mm-hmm. let's move on. Mm-hmm. So that, that's very helpful. I think you just need to allow yourself to feel whatever you're feeling. Cause if you try to hold it in, it's gonna, right. Gonna it's unhealthy. Yeah. It's going to show up in other ways. And that's, yeah. that's good that you give yourself the space to, to feel that way. Yeah. I think something that a lot of people, I guess it's just an assumption, but like, like you mentioned at the beginning, you know, neither of our parents had fertility issues. We were healthy you didn't think this would be ever a problem. And I think that's a mindset that a lot of people have and people just aren't really aware that it doesn't always necessarily depend on your family history. It just, it's kind of at random. It, it, and it can be anything. That's why they say you start with the guy because I actually, um, someone else in this community who went through some, they were struggling to get pregnant and, um, they finally, they went and started with him and had him tested. And it can be something so simple. It can be your husband changing their diet. It can be your husband changing. Yes. The type of boxers they wear. It is. That's why they start with the guy because it's sometimes something so incredibly simple, especially for athletes who are wearing constrictive, you know, equipment or whatever, maybe getting hit and taking supplements, whatever, anything, it can be something so simple that can give you that edge to get pregnant without having to go all the way through IVF. So seeing the first step is just saying, you know what, this isn't working out. Let's go see a doctor and just see what they say. You don't Mm -hmm. have to move forward with it, but just seeing what a medical professional says just Mm -hmm. changes everything. And it can be something simple like your diet. I actually grabbed, I was looking at my notes and I grabbed something this last time because when I went into IVF this for this fourth round, I was 35 and well, I was turning 35 and, um, they said, we have to change some things because you're turning 35, which to me, I'm like, what does that mean? (laughs) Okay. So they gave me this pamphlet of, um, things because the science changes nonstop. And they gave me this pamphlet of things that change, um, saying 
a low carb diet improves in vitro fertilization. And they gave me a whole thing on how um, eggs and embryos are not doing well in high glucose environments. So something simple like changing, now I am obsessed with bread. So it was very difficult for me to focus on this pamphlet, but something that simple. And they also gave me a whole new, you know, I already had like six different medications and drugs and things I was taking, but they added a whole new thing of vitamins. I was taking um, COQ10, provides energy, um, omega-3 fatty acids, vitamin C, vitamin E. I was taking a plethora of vitamins every day just because I had turned 35. But simple changes like that can give you the edge to make things work. And it kind of gave me something else to focus on, which when you're in the middle of it is helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Actually, someone asked this question, but their husband has, I think when they did the genetic testing, there was an issue with fertility on his side. And, you know, I know that that isn't necessarily the issue that you've been going through, but would you, do you have any advice for someone of how to support their husband during something like this? Because I'm sure, you know, it's, it, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I can imagine it is probably really hard for the female going through all of that physically, emotionally, you, like you said, you have so many hormones going on, but also it's hard for the, the husband as well, you know? And I think that's something that that we can forget. They're also going through this really hard time when, you know, they want a baby just as bad as, as the female. Yeah. And it's, I think it's a male thing too, of, I have the strongest sperm. (laughs) Like it's a, you know, caveman thing, but, um, actually one of my, one of my best friends from home, she was having trouble. She had multiple miscarriages, late-term miscarriages, things were not going well. And I encouraged her to go and see my doctor and they went and they did genetic testing and found out that he, he had a genetic, an issue. And they basically said that it's not impossible for them to get pregnant. Um, and it's not impossible for them to end up with a healthy pregnancy, but the odds of it happening on their own is not very good. And so they he might need science to help weed out what, what is called like the genetically like testing the embryos. Right. Yeah. They just need science to help with that. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. That science can even do that in the first place is awesome. So, um, they actually started the process to go through IVF and they got pregnant right before they were supposed to start. And, um, it worked out and they have a beautiful baby and they hit that one in a million chance without needing the science, but they were on the path to go that route. Um, So I think when we were talking, she had mentioned that her husband was really disappointed and feeling like he was making her have to go through this. And I, I get that that can be so tough. Yeah. That can be hard for someone to have to shoulder that kind of burden. But I think the most important thing that you can say to your partner going either way, whether it's the guy or the girl that's having the issue is it's not your fault. You, you didn't do choose this. Yeah. You didn't do anything. There's not, it's not like you, you know, jumped off a cliff and this is what happened. Like it's, it's just something that it is, it is what it is. And you just have to remember that you can't control it. And all you can do is take the steps necessary to fix the problem or go around the problem or 
I mean, I don't even know if I would call it a problem. It's just a hurdle. You just need help getting over the hurdle and mm -hmm. it is what it is. You have to, you have to just tell them that it's not their fault and you can't control it and we're going to get over it together. Mm -hmm. What are some ways that your husband has supported you through this journey? We, we have been together for 16 years <laughs> um, and he knows that I sometimes need to just do things my way. So his best way of supporting me is just let me stay up till three in the morning reading Google. Let me, let me go to the doctor's appointments a thousand times. Even if you don't need to be there every time, sometimes I just need to go and ask a question and he's okay with that. And, you know, he, he's very good at me going, Hey, you gotta go, uh, you got to go jerk off in a cup again. <laughs> can, you, can you go do that for me? Thanks. Yeah. Um, we actually, I have a kind of funny story. We, our last time uh, this past spring in May, it, it was a little different because it was in the middle of COVID. And so normally he would go on the day of the Im implantation. So they had already retrieved my eggs and now, or no, I'm sorry, we we're going to get my eggs. So it was egg retrieval day. And normally I would go, we would go together. I would go and get prepped to have my eggs retrieved. And he would go and give his, his contribution. And then they would in a special room and then they take it and put it all together. Um, but because of COVID, the little room that the, the men go for their contribution, they, uh, that's not open. And so they were like, okay, you have to be at the, um, the lab and his sample has to be taken from his body within, um, within 30 minutes. And the lab is 30 minutes from my mom's house. And so we had dropped my son off at my mom's house. Oh and I was like, okay, we have to like time this. And he's like, well, I'm not going to like go in your mom's bathroom. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, we have 30, a 30 minute drive. So you can just you know, go in the back seat while I'm driving and hopefully you, they give you this little cup and I was like, you, like you a little Dixie cup, isn't it? Yeah. It's like a little, like if you're doing like a urine sample, it's like a little plastic oh, cup gosh. with a lid. And I was like, so I'll just let you know when we get on like the part of the road, that's really straight and you can go in the back seat. So we were like 10 minutes from the office and then we were on this road. That's really straight. And I was like, okay, we're here. So he just went in the back seat and, um, and <laughs> what a trooper. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, he, he is, he'll just, he wants this as badly as I do. So he just, he's okay with doing the weird stuff. And I would just remember being in the front seat thinking like, okay, what do you want to listen to? Like <laughs> what song fits this situation? He's uh, like, just, just stop. <laughs> yeah. Just, just turn the mirror. Don't look at me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> But, that is hilarious. Um, yeah, we made it work. And it's a funny story that had it worked out and we had become pregnant off of one of those embryos, that would have been a great one to tell at someone's wedding. So, um, but, Still yeah. a great one to tell. That's, yeah. And that's amazing that, you know, he's willing to do that and, and support you in that way. Cause yeah, I just, I mean, I can't even imagine just time and time again, I just, it, it would be so frustrating, you know, and just having your hopes high and then just feeling let down over and over. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. Again, you just have to, you just have to, I remember when I did, I, 
yeah, when I got pregnant with Tyler, I peed on 10 sticks. I was so proud of my ability to make that stick <laughs> turn, turn with two lines or turn blue or whatever. <laughs> you just have to hold on for those moments. When you did get pregnant with your son, was that a nerve wracking time for you at the beginning throughout your whole pregnancy? Were you nervous or did you feel like once you got further along, you were able to relax a little bit? Um, they, they hold on to you a little bit longer. Like normally when you find out you're pregnant and then you go to your OB, um, they hold you, you're considered high risk. So mm -hmm. they hold you at the fertility clinic a little further along. And I didn't see a normal OB until, um, I think I was just after my first trimester. So I felt safe because I mean, I probably got, you know, five or six extra, extra pictures, you know, then there's, that was like a perk to me. I'm like, Oh, I get more ultrasound pictures. Um, but yeah, I felt safe being with my fertility doctor for that, that part. And they treat you, my, well, my specifically, my doctor was very like success story. Like he was, they treat you like you've just won an Olympic medal. Like it's very, you know, it, it feels good. So, um, they really took care of me and I felt like I was safe. And then once I got to the normal OB, the only reason they take you to the normal OB at that point is because your pregnancy is doing well. And so I felt good about that. And I had done a lot of research before I picked my OB and they knew I was coming from a fertility case and it was, yeah, I felt, I felt good. I had actually had a really good pregnancy. I wasn't sick other than I had a couple of emotional emotional times eating over ate some watermelon and then threw up some watermelon. <laughs> but, um, other than that, I, I had a really easy pregnancy and I was really lucky. I actually, that season, I, my husband, um, was in Chelyabinsk, Russia, and I flew back and forth. So I did a few months there, a few months, and then I would come home for appointments and then I would fly back. So I actually did, um, six or eight overseas flights while I was pregnant. <laughs> Um, but the doctors were like, yeah, you're fine. Just get up, move, do all the things. So yeah, I, I felt, I felt good. The pregnancy felt great. I was good. just so excited to be pregnant. I was, mm -hmm. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And something I really wanted to ask you is how can we as women support our friends going through similar situations? I mean, I think like, I don't know if you ever see little memes on um, Instagram or free follow accounts kind of talking about this topic and there's things like to not what to not say. And I've read those and I've, I've read those and going, Oh my gosh, I've totally said these things before because I think that people mean well and they want to say the right thing and they want to try, try to stay positive for their friend or their family going through something, but not necessarily always knowing what to say. And I don't really think, you know, there is anything in particular you can say that will make the situation better, but What's your perspective on that? And how can we kind of change the, like the conversation? So it's, so we're supporting our friends as best as we can. Um, that is like the most important thing. That's why I wanted to come on this podcast, because there are a couple of things that I think are really important. People need to know, um, or do, but I think it starts with knowing your friend or your, your the person you're communicating with you have to know what kind of, um, mindset they're in me personally. 
I, I never felt like upset about other people becoming pregnant. And I, I didn't want to have to feel like I had to constantly make people feel comfortable around me when they found out I was doing IVF or struggling or whatever it is. I didn't want to have to feel like I was making someone else feel comfortable. I wanted to be invited to the baby showers. I wanted to get on a train and go somewhere with you and your kid, like during the season. Again, I was on a team with a whole bunch of kids and I wanted to be included. I, I don't see my situation in your situation. So I don't feel that, that anger towards you for being able to get pregnant versus me not. Um, and I wouldn't wish infertility on anybody. And so um, I never felt that way. And so most of my friends know that and they, you know, they're great about checking in and seeing how I'm doing and celebrating when it works out and saying like, Hey, you know, sorry, that didn't work out when it doesn't, but I didn't want to be babied or coddled. I just wanted to be included with everything just because I wasn't having a baby. Didn't mean I didn't want to celebrate you having a baby. However, there are a lot of girls who have trouble watching their friends get pregnant when they're struggling. And if you know that your friend is someone who struggles with that, then don't post in the group chat and say like, woohoo, like, you know, look at this, look at that, whatever, without double checking that your friend is okay with it. And, you know, maybe your friend says, guys, I have to step out of this group chat because I'm just going through a hard time right now. And if she says that, let her. Don't give her a hard time. Don't make her feel bad or make her feel like you have to change your conversation to accommodate her because that puts pressure on her um, to make you feel comfortable. So you have to read your situation. But I think after you find out somebody who is struggling gets pregnant was something I really, really wanted to say on this was let them be normal. Let them have a normal pregnancy. It is a blanket statement to say anyone who struggles with fertility is thankful that they are pregnant. A hundred percent, they are thankful they are pregnant, but you know what? They still have heartburn. They're still tired. They still get morning sickness. And it's not fair for them to not feel like they can complain the way that other pregnant people complain. Like somebody might say, um, why are you complaining about morning sickness? You know, aren't you just thankful that you're pregnant because you struggled for so long? When people say that to you? Well, not to me. I, but, but you've, I, heard, you've heard it. I have heard it. And I've also experienced friends who have had fertility issues say to me, I'm just so thankful I can talk to you about this because I feel bad complaining to other people about it. Just let your friends complain. Please <laughs> let them say that I had the worst heartburn. Tyler was born with a full head of hair and I had so much heartburn. <laughs> But I still felt the need to tell people when they're like, how are you doing? I still felt the need to be like, just so thankful that I'm pregnant, but really I have a lot of heartburn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so let, let them be normal. Let them experience the normal, the normal ins and outs. And yes, I am very blessed that I was able to have Tyler and that he is healthy, but he still drives me crazy and <laughs> does all the things that a normal four-year-old does. Yeah, like, absolutely. There are still moments where I'm like, oh my God, could I really have another one? He, I can't, I can't imagine having two, but I really do want to, but I need to be able to be allowed to say the normal things that moms say without mm -hmm. feeling guilty because I know I struggled. Mm -hmm. So I think that supporting someone who's gone through it 
and come out on the other end of it, um, just let them be normal and have fun with it and be happy that they're pregnant. But I could see maybe someone that's going through, you know, some fertility struggles, seeing their friends get pregnant time and time again, and maybe feeling that way, but not feeling like they can talk about feeling that way, maybe feeling embarrassed or guilty. Like I shouldn't feel sad or down because my friend got pregnant. I think that's normal to feel that way. Wouldn't you? Oh, a hundred percent. You can feel, you can feel uh, my best, my best friend looks at her husband and gets pregnant. She, (laughs) she is the most fertile person I've ever met. And yeah, we tried at first at the same time and it didn't work out for me and it worked out for her. And I was like, Oh, that kind of, that, that sucks. But Mm -hmm. you have to, you have to take your own situation and focus on what you can do to help yourself. Mm -hmm. And part of that is accepting your feelings. Part of that is if it's bothering you to be around somebody that's pregnant, then just be honest with them so that there's no weirdness. Just say, Hey, I'm really happy that you're pregnant and that you're having this baby shower, but I'm in a really tough place right now. And I just don't think it's healthy for me to come because I can't handle it emotionally. And if that is a good friend, they're going to turn around and say, I completely understand if there's anything that I can do to help you, let me know. And just be okay with that. Don't, don't make it weird. Don't be like, Oh, she didn't come to my baby shower. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) if a friend open opens up and does say something like that, how can we check in and support them throughout that process? Like, what are some things that we can say, or just, is it just, you know, saying things like I'm here for you. If you, if you would like to talk about this, you know, cause I think people, it's almost like people are scared to say the wrong thing. So they don't say anything at all. That, and that goes back to reading who your friend is. For me, I checked, I liked when my friends were like, hey, today's egg retrieval day, like good luck, you can do this. And I liked the funny memes and the Easter bunny bringing eggs and that kind of thing that, that made me feel, that made me feel normal and included. And I liked that. Um, if your friend is, is okay with that. Um, I, another girl from this community who's an incredible mom and I'm so happy that everything worked out for her. She Um, she ran into a whole bunch of health issues that made it difficult for her to get pregnant. And when she went down the road of IVF, she ended up with one embryo. And I remember I was checking in every part of her journey. I wanted to check in. I wanted to know how many eggs she got. I wanted to know how those eggs were growing. Tell me about your day three, day five, all that stuff. And it was nice for her to unload the information on somebody, but also I, she ended up with one. And I remember it only takes one. You only need one. <laughs> only mm-hmm. It only takes one. And she is a healthy baby boy and it oh, worked cool. out. Yeah. And I think if you are, if you have a friend who needs the extra support, you know what you can do? Google IVF. Know some of the terminology. Learn about it. Yeah. yeah. If you learn a little bit of the terminology, then it makes it easier for you to check in and say, how did your egg retrieval go today? Or, you know, how was your, how, how are your embryos growing? Are they incubating? Because having to explain yourself over and over again, can also get exhausting. Mm -hmm. Some people Mm -hmm. like to talk about it and some people just want you to know, want you to understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, I'm hoping that people can reach out to you if they have questions or, you know, obviously you have gone through it and you can, 
you know, you know, and, and so they don't have to explain that. Cause I, I can imagine just because it is so emotionally taxing to then having to explain it to every single person and people asking questions. And I'm sure it's like, it's not, they just want to be supportive. Right. But at the same time, it's like so emotional that it's like, I just probably don't want to explain this to someone as is what I would think. So if it's That's- somebody who actually wants to hear it, if somebody like, I love when I have hockey girlfriends and you're sitting in, you know, you're sitting in the suite or wherever you are in the mm-hmm. stands and you're, you're sitting there with your glass of wine and you're talking about stuff. And they are like, I don't really understand IVF. I love explaining it because science, yeah. science is incredible. And the fact, right. that, the fact that they can do what they did to mm-hmm. create my son is mm-hmm. insane. And I would love to explain it to somebody yeah. the difference between a day five transfer and a day three transfer and all that stuff. And so everyone's different probably right with that yeah I but I would love to explain to someone who's actually interested if you're just asking me because you're like oh you're you're what is that yeah 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 (laughs) you're like well no don't worry about it (laughs) (laughs) exactly there are so many acronyms and things it was overwhelming when I first started and that's what the google made me feel better the google made me feel smart (laughs) knowledge is power and I'm sure that helps yeah just like learn about it so that you can know and I felt prepared and it made me, it made me feel more comfortable because I knew what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And then someone asked, was it difficult to find doctors experienced in fertility when always moving? That's always my biggest fear. Um, so I lucked into my doctor in Belarus with Michelle. That was, again, she fell into my lap and I have never been so thankful to meet somebody in my life. Um, that doctor was Again, it didn't work out, but that doctor was very great. When I got home, um, I I did some research online to find the doctor, but I have to tell you, when you are finding a doctor, fertility is a journey. It is not a normal doctor. You need to find someone that you are comfortable with, You whether you are someone who just likes it straight with no fluff, or if you want to be you know, someone to hold your hand through things, you have to decide the kind of person you're looking for, because this isn't just a go to one visit. This is a, a very in-depth journey that you're going to take with this person. And it's not even just the person, the doctor, it is their support staff. I, when I'm going through IVF at home, I see my doctor for sure, but I also have to go in once or twice a week for, I go in every three days sometimes for um, blood work and you have to see that person every day. And then mm-hmm. vaginal ultrasounds, you know, I, you get on a first name basis with the person who's putting a, <laughs> putting a camera up you, uh-huh. so you need to be comfortable with the support staff and the doctor. And, um, I did my research online. I also, um, I interviewed two different doctors before I chose mine. Uh, he was more accepting of my situation with Paul being gone in hockey and all that. He'd actually worked on some, um, families from the Red Wings. I'm from the Detroit area. And, uh, that was, I, yeah, you need to find a doctor that's right for you. Um, there are fertility doctors. This is a very common issue and there are fertility doctors everywhere. You Mm -hmm. just have to look, look them up and find one that works for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I, I think you probably saw, I think you commented on it, the post in the Facebook group, um, someone posted, I think it was it about IVF recently. She said she was going to start she was worried about starting, I think is what that was. Yeah. So the Facebook group is a really safe, like, I know a lot of people aren't comfortable, like posting about that because it is a really sensitive topic, but if you are comfortable with that, 
And there's so many people that are going through this. And I was so amazed at how many comments were on that of saying, I went through this too. And I went through this too. And if you're comfortable with that, it is a safe space. And I'm sure you can find people that maybe know someone in the area that you live in that went through it, or they live in the area and went through it. And even, I just want to say, like, if someone is looking for that and they are not comfortable posting in the group, I'm more than happy to post in the group on your behalf anonymously and share the results with you, because I know it can be kind of intimidating and it's personal, um, but it is a really safe group. If you're looking for advice and from other just hockey girls that might be in a similar situation. Yeah. I actually loved how many people commented on that. That made me Me too. I mean, some of them, some of them I knew some actually one of my girlfriends would commented on it and I didn't know that she had any issues before either because we were on a team before either of us had kids, but, um, yeah, it's, it was great to see how many people responded with their own personal, Hey, if this sounds like what you're going through message me, like, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. so yeah. And if you're, if someone's looking for one in the Michigan area, I love my doctor. Um, my actual original doctor that gave me Tyler actually passed away from brain aneurysm a little bit after, but his partner took over my following cases and his PA that I love is still there. So I would highly recommend the Michigan center for fertility. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and being vulnerable, open, sharing your story with other people that want to learn about it and might be going through it. Um, and I feel like I learned so much today from you as well. And just how I can support my friends moving forward. If people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Mostly on Facebook, but I do have Instagram and I can answer messages on that for sure. It's slim S L I M S Z C Z, which is the first part of my extremely long last name. Um, but yeah, definitely on Facebook, I am more than happy to answer specific like medication and procedure questions. If you're starting IVF and you want to know about those specific parts. 